This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Maddox. Got a good show for you today. Brooke Lopez, the Brooklyn Nets center, he drops by and we cover a lot of ground here. From his days playing at Stanford with his brother, to being drafted into the NBA, to his history with injuries, to all the trade rumors he's been involved in, and how he's dealt with it along the way. So stay tuned for that. Quick housekeeping note, there is a very easy way you can support this podcast. All you have to do is go to iTunes, give us a rating, post a comment. It's easy, it's free, and it's the best way you can support this podcast. That's it. That's all I ask. All right, let's go. Here with Brooke Lopez, a uh, 20 point per game score for the second straight season and poised to break the all time uh, Nets record. And when I saw that, Brooke, I wanted to ask you first are you more amazed by the fact that you're going to break this record or the fact that you've made it nine seasons with this team to actually do it? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I keep going over in my head and I just, I can't believe I've been in the league that long. That's the first thing I think of. You know, I, I still feel like I'm a rookie uh, playing the league. Is there, I mean, has there been a trick to it over the years to to dealing with all that you've kind of dealt with on the outside? Is there something, do you have a, a secret to sanity, I guess? <laughs> I guess for me, it's just my, my complete ignorance and the fact that I kind of live my own little world. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't read a lot of what the media says or anything like that. I'm kind of just in my own zone. And so, you know, I, I miss a lot of those trade rumors and, and that miscellaneous stuff you see every other day. Do you have instructions to friends and family? Like, don't ask, don't send me notes, don't send me links to websites that have, have me linked to something. <laughs> they, they've gotten good at it. They've, they've figured out the drill over the, the many times it's happened. Um, initially, when, you know, the, the Dwight rumors started when I was, you know, in my second or third year, 
my mom texts me like, I, I think you're going to Orlando, Brooke. And I'm like, mom, I really don't want to hear that. And she would like give me updates. I remember like during uh, All-Star break one year, I was with my family at Disneyland and we we're about to get on the Haunted Mansion. And I was like, Brooke, I think you're going to Orlando now. Really this time? And I'm like, mom, please just stop. Was that the last time that, that family uh, interject like that? Because I guess that was the closest. That was when... Yeah. That was one of those Oklahoma City too, but that one was uh, was the closest. Was that yeah. the last time that they intervened like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I think they definitely figured it out now and figured out the the reality of the the way the league's like a business. You have consistently maintained though over the years that not only do you not want to get traded, but you want to be here. You want to be in Brooklyn with the Nets. What what is it about? I mean, ordinarily, if with with all the changes that have gone on this organization, you might think I'm, you know, I'd like to try something different, but you've been pretty steadfast in your, your one beer. Yeah. I think it's just for me looking at it, it's almost like uh, it's a pretty blank slate, you know, and I see that as an opportunity to really do great things here and uh, help create, you know, a franchise that, that people want to come play for and, you know, see as a, a good winning franchise. I've had a lot of, of uncertainty over the years. I want to get to some of that, but you're uh you, you and your brother, obviously both uh, NBA players. I, I was curious, which one of you experienced the growth spurt first? Who was the the tall kid first? You know, it's actually, I guess it goes with being with twins, but we were seriously same height the whole way. Um, Randy Foy just asked the other day like how tall I was in like sixth grade. And I think I was probably like, let me think. I was 6'1 in seventh grade. I know that. Got 6'3 in eighth grade. Oh, we were six seven our freshman year of high school, and then going into sophomore year, we were seven foot. Both around the same, both same exactly speed, the same, same exactly speed. the same speed, exactly. This I'm not kidding at all. Um, obviously, you two were close all throughout your young life. Chose the same college to eventually go to, but I mean, how close? How close were you? Was it you know every weekend hanging out, uh, every night going out? You wouldn't go out without each other. I mean, how would you describe it? Uh, we were always around. <laughs> we were always around each other. No question. I mean, we were in the same room for. 18 years, you know, and we had bunk beds for probably, I don't know, 14 maybe or something like that. So it was always me and him. And then, you know, we went to a pretty small high school of like 627 uh, people. So we had the same groups of friends. We're in the same classes pretty much. And so we, we did. We grew up constantly together. And I don't know if it was a conscious effort or if Robin would really care to admit he actually wants to hang out with me. But but we, we, we did hang out pretty much the majority of that time for two decades. How big were those bunk beds? If you're, if you're in there as four, I mean, 14, you're probably into six feet, right? At that right. Point. Yeah. So that we, we switched them out shortly after that, but like, uh, I remember building them and it, towards the end, it was getting close. Like the little bed boards on the bottom were kind of cracking and breaking a little bit. And it was time. Wait, you built those beds? Well, I remember them being put together. Okay. I didn't build them myself. Yeah. So towards the end, they were a little shop worn. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they've been through a few moves. Uh, socially speaking, were you guys both similar, similar likes, similar? Uh, we, we always had the same, I, I guess, pop culture interests and things like that. Um, socially, I was uh, more talkative than Robin, mm -hmm. definitely. Uh, Robin was, uh, was more soft-spoken and quieter. Um, but, you know, uh, again, we, we always kind of tended to gravitate to the same things. Mm -hmm. And you know, I mean, like in terms of likes, I know you guys, you were into comic books. Your brother was into comic books. Was that kind of the, 
Was that one of the things you shared, and what else did you? Yeah, we we, um, we grew up being huge comic book fans because our older brothers loved it. Um, you know, when they would be gone at basketball practice or wherever they were, uh, we'd sneak into their room and get into their long boxes and just start uh, pulling out issues and rifling through them and just read through as much stuff as we could till they got back. Are you still doing that, still reading the comic books when they come out? <laughs> they they, they kind of take my stuff when they come out and visit now. They were just out here for the Chicago game in Brooklyn, and uh, – they were going through all this stuff I'd gotten, and uh, it was uh, funny to see that reversal. I read one story where a former teammate said that at Stanford said that you guys were once given like ninety dollars in per diem, and and Robin asked you for money after spending eighty one of that dollars at a comic book store. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Rob, Robin absolutely did that, and my per diem wasn't completely going <laughs> there uh, too, but. Yeah, he was always at the same comic store. And I remember the first time he told me, but he's like, Brooke, I found this great comic store right right off campus. Let's go. Uh, well, we're going to go bike there right now. And he's like, I was like, uh, how far is it? He's like, no, it's, it's literally like two blocks away. <laughs> and so it, we're probably like two miles into the bike ride. And I'm like, Robin, where are we going? He's like, no, it's right around the corner, I promise. That's That's the thing with Robin. If you like, he won't, even if you catch him, he won't let go of the lie. He never lets go of it. So it was like an eight-mile trip back and forth. On the way back, we're biking, but we're carrying, like, huge, like, two-foot plastic bags of comic books, like, on both bars and everything. And it's just – it was such a process. It was ridiculous. And it's complete, that's pretty much what college is like for us. How long was the ride, actually, if he said it was around the corner? If it was around the corner, it was, it was probably, I don't know, 45 minutes there, 45 <laughs> minutes back. <laughs> On a bike. That's yeah, pretty far. right. And those comics are heavy on the way back. You got a lot of back issues. Um, when you're, obviously your height probably lends you to basketball early, but was there other sports for you? Was it, or was it basketball all the way? I, I knew I always wanted to play basketball and I wanted to do it professionally, but um, I, I tried everything. You know, I, I love athletics and from a very young age, you know, I was in elementary school. I just, if they had team signups, they'd announce them in class. Like my friends and I, we just decided to do them. So I did cross country, uh, track and field, through the shot put, did high jump, um, played volleyball. I did water polo because all my friends played water polo in uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, and college. So I played in middle school. Um, and I, you know, I tried lots of extracurricular activity and stuff as well. I was in the band. I did choir, um, you know, history day, science fair, like all that stuff. I was, I was always around it. My, my goal in elementary school is, is a shameful as it may be was I didn't want to go to like one full day of school I always wanted to get out early and go to some extracurricular activity but you sounds like you got your money's worth in elementary and high school if that's what you're doing yeah, you tried yeah. everything yeah I, I, I tried everything I really did the best and worst non-basketball activity that or sport that you played was what um my favorite was probably volleyball okay I loved volleyball I just yeah <laughs> I was Obviously good at it because I was tall, but I was pretty bad at it for my size. <laughs> if you get, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So like at my high school level, playing some of the other city teams, I was all right. But then when we played the good teams, I was not very good. <laughs> and the best one that you were at? Um, that's the one I enjoyed the most. Okay. I'd say, I'd say, um, probably my. I wouldn't say least favorite because I really enjoyed them all, but. When we'd get going on those cross-country runs in, like, elementary school and middle school, and it was, like, in the Fresno heat in the middle of summer and in the fall, it was just, oh, my. And it just, 
the the streets seemed to go on forever and we'd do cul-de-sacs and stuff all the way to Woodward Park and back and I don't know for elementary school Brook, sixth grade Brook, that's a long ways and I was just struggling there in the heat. <laughs> <laughs> what was the choir like for you then? Choir? Um I lip synced a lot in the back row. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was part of the choir, though. I was. Yeah. When I, you when you were, um, uh, as basketball players, you and Robin, now people know he's a little bit of a different style. You're uh, a score, mm-hmm. uh, Robin, rebounder, shot blocker type. Was it always like that uh, growing up? Was there always a difference in the way, in the style of play? Yeah, that's kind of the way it worked out just from us playing together our whole lives. Um, you know, a lot of people ask if we really enjoyed playing against each other, and we absolutely did. We we did it all the time in our in our front yard in the in the driveway. But um, you know, what we really relished in was teaming up and playing against other people. And so, I think the way you look at our games now is kind of how we complement each other when we would play on the court as well. Tell me about the decision to go to Stanford uh, together. I mean, obviously, you're both being recruited uh, to top schools, but was it always we're going to pick a school and go there together, or did this just come out together a different way? Um, you know, honestly, I don't think Stanford ever really even had to recruit us. For for Robin and I, it had been in the back of, back of our minds as long as I can remember. Um, my mom always tells me the story and anyone who will listen the story that when I got I got in the car after school one day in second grade and I just I told my mom mom before I play in the NBA I want to go to Stanford so we we just kind of knew and that was always the goal we never seriously entertained any other universities or colleges it was just we always were in love with Stanford did you at any point did you think like I'm going to Stanford I'm with my brother I also want to play in the NBA two seven footers can they play together at the college level did that enter your mind at all that it might hurt your chances of getting to the nba no we we never thought of it that way mm-hmm. we, yeah we never looked at it that way we just we, we'd always enjoyed playing together at every level so you know regardless of whatever position one has to play the four or one has to play a five or it never happened but if one had to start and one would be on the bench we never thought about something like that did anybody get close <laughs> to stealing either you or robin away from stanford uh, I, no one really got close, but Robin always joked. We'd never seen the Oregon arena until we went up to play there and Donald Duck is all over it because of that logo. And they played DuckTail. The band played DuckTail. So Robin always joked that if Oregon had let him know more about that, he probably would have gone there. So you, you could have been sold by DuckTales. Yes. It's 100%. I, I, th- I feel like there's a lot of people that could be sold on Duck by DuckTales. Was there any, you know, one of the name coaches that, that had an impact on you that, that may have tried to come in and make an effort? Uh, not really. We went through the normal recruiting process and, and we, we did do a few visits, but it wasn't, it, um, you know, like I said, it was never anything big time. Um, but one issue that came up for us was we always wanted to play for a coach Montgomery. And so when he, uh, left for the Warriors, probably like our sophomore year or something like that, uh, you, you know, we were interested obviously in who they were going to hire. And mm-hmm. that was, it wasn't, you know what, actually we probably should have contemplated it more than we did, but we never really thought about it. And, you know, hiring Trent, that was great for us when we ended up playing under Trump. Mm-hmm. Is it true that you once skipped a practice to go to Disneyland? It, it is. It, it is. We really did. <laughs> Why? What? You couldn't wait for an off day? or It, it, it was such a spontaneous event. It, it didn't really like, it wasn't like we were planning on going to Disneyland and it was this day. Mm-hmm. We were coming back from a friend's birthday party and, 
we had one person who actually had a car, everyone else, no car on campus. And the guy drove stick. So, uh, no one else knew how to drive stick. So we, and he had to drop everyone else back at their dorms after their birthday party. And he's just dropping people off. And we're like, let's go to Denny's player. Take us to Denny's or no, it was Gino. Gino, take us to Denny's. And Gino's like, why don't I just take you guys to Disneyland? Like, cause he keeps dropping us off everywhere. We're like, you just said that to the wrong three people in the car. <laughs> so we go back, we go to our, like our house on campus and we're like packing up and going and like all the people are like, where are you guys going? We're going to Disneyland. And they're like, Oh, you guys get out of here. <laughs> and then we just packed up, got in the car and we left like, God, from Stanford to Anaheim. We probably left at like, I'm thinking between midnight and 2 a.m. <laughs> we got there right around opening. So I'm going to say it must have been midnight. And we got there right at opening. And we were there all day. We were, we were there all day. We left, God, probably around, yeah, 11 or midnight from there. Then came back. In the car, the, the trip was, it was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. I can't lie. The car ride was miserable. I would imagine. That's it was six it was, hours, something like that. It was a tiny car too. And Robert and I were sitting in the back seat and we were crunched up and everything like that. It was, yeah. And you missed a practice. We did miss you a did. practice. What was the the punishment? And, and how do you even explain that to the coach? Like we wanted to go to Yeah. <laughs> it was an interesting meeting. I don't really remember all of it now, but uh, <laughs> I, I was suspended for a week from the team. <laughs> was it worth it? Oh man, I'm gonna you're, I'm gonna have to ask Trent on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, along the same lines, about the decision to um, to go to Stanford, you and your brother both elected to go to the draft the same year. Yeah, uh, was there was that a consensus decision, or did you both make it kind of on your own? Uh, we we both I think it was a consensus consensus. Um, you know, uh, we we talked to Trent uh, beforehand and uh, after the season just. We felt it was the right time. Um, you know, actually, Trent came up to me during senior night, and he said, this is your senior night. So I think he was kind of trying to get me out of there. <laughs> there are kids now, and I'm, I'm curious what advice you would give them now entering the draft, underclassmen. They've got a little bit more time now because they can go through right. the combine and learn. I think that's yeah. good for them. I, I 100% think that's good for them. I, You know, I remember playing my first summer league game, you know, and I don't know how realistic it is to have prospects play summer league. I know mm-hmm. that the timetables aren't completely matched up, but I just thought I was 200% a better player coming out of just one summer league game. Mm-hmm. And I talked to Rondé, he said the same thing. And so I think the guys having the experience of going through the combine and all that draft stuff is absolutely good for them, even if they come back. What advice would you give kids about who to listen to, what information to believe in, what not to believe? Because I'm sure they're I mean, I'm sure they have a lot of people that are trying to get in their pockets that that want them to go pro, that want mm-hmm. to, and aren't exactly thinking about their best interest. And I'm sure along the same lines, there are people that are thinking about their best interest. What advice would you right. give them? You know, uh, Rob and I were so fortunate that we had a, a pretty small circle. It was our family, and then um, we had a traveling team coach who'd coach, coach our older brother, Darren Matsubara. Um, and he'd, uh, you know, we'd known him since we were in elementary school. He'd played for his teams. And so we pretty much grew up knowing the guy. And he became, you know, our manager and then transitioned to our agent. So our smirkle, circle, again, was very small. And we didn't have a ton of people in our ear. And I think it, it helped that we were, we were a little, I don't want to say we weren't informed. That we were kind of ignorant on the process. We, we were kind of in it and a part of it. But we kind of just kept our head down and focused on, getting our work in and improving each and every day, you know, and 
Robin and I battling, making each other work harder and become better players. And really, uh, you know, when we felt we were comfortable and we knew we were competitive at the college level and where we were in terms of stacking up against other players, we felt we could make that jump. When you were, were going through those workouts, I'm sure teams wanted to bring you in, see what you look like. Were you being brought into them with your brother? Were you going head-to-head with him at some of these workouts? That's actually one of the few times that we, we were apart. You know, I was one of the first times we were, you know, really apart, you know, looking back at it. Um, you know, we, we had different teams interested in us, and I went through a lot of workouts solo. Mm. You know, I, I was projected to go around three to five range, so I thought I was going to go to Seattle or, or Minnesota. And mm. so I had a lot of solo workouts. And, and Robin had, um, he had two or three workouts, and I, I think he had a small group. Um, and so he was going against other players. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to do the combine. He didn't. Robin kind of fell in that position where he was, he was actually, I, I, you know, I didn't really want to go to the combine, honestly. <laughs> and he, uh, he was in that lucky position where he was kind of right in between where he was a good enough player mm-hmm. that he didn't, he wasn't one of the top, top picks. So he didn't have to go to the combine and get measured and everything, but he didn't have to go to the combine and play in all the scrimmage games either. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of right in that middle. So he was just hanging out at home, getting his workouts in and, you know, preparing for wherever he'd fall in the draft. But they had me fly out. They need to get rid of the combine. The combine's pointless. Nobody plays anymore. And all these guys, all these guys do is show up, do a couple of interviews and then yeah, walk I, away. It's, I just, you know, it's, I, I don't understand really the, you know, I guess you want to see how many times someone can bench whatever it is, 185 or whatever. And then, you know, I was the slowest in the, the I was the slowest in the field in the shuttle runs and the, I don't know, whatever the square test was. So, I and mean, they, they take that shit per, real. Uh, they do. I remember Rudy Gobert was like the yeah. most unathletic guy yeah. at the combine. Mm-hmm. He slipped all the way into the mid 20s because yeah. of it. It's, yeah. it's like ignore everything you've seen up until mm-hmm. this point. Right, yeah. <laughs> just, just go with athletic right, testing. Exactly. Look at the testing, not what they do on the basketball court, right? <laughs> Um, so, so you do, you slipped, I think what to 10 on draft night. Yeah. I mean, what was your feeling there? Obviously you wanted to go three to five, but mm-hmm. then you hear the nets, the then New Jersey nets, um, you know, yeah. plucking you up. Uh, draft night was, it was pretty bizarre. Cause you you think you're going to one of these two places and you're kind of set on that in your mind. You're like, okay, I'm going to be in Minnesota and you're figuring out how that's going to work. Or I'm going to be living in Seattle or mm-hmm. OKC, you know, wherever they ended up. And, uh, it's just like, so after those two names are called, you're kind of like, okay. <laughs> from then on, I was I was pretty much like when they called like okay, and with the sixth pick or whoever uh, the Clippers pick or whoever it was, and you know, I think it was Golden State after that and Milwaukee. You're like, you're like okay, how do I fit here? You know, what's the city like? How do I fit with the team? What can I do there? And it just kept happening, kept happening every and ten minutes, just exactly, recycling. Yeah, right, thoughts. exactly, yeah. And and uh, my agents kind of like Brooke, you know, it's a great pl- it's a great organization. Milwaukee's fantastic. You're gonna like it, like repeatedly every time. And then like uh, with the ninth pick, um, it, was, it was Charlotte. I think uh, BJ was there. BJ Armstrong was there, and he was with our agency. Mm-hmm. He's like, and, and so. My agent at the time, Bob, Bob Myers, was like, uh, okay, Brooke, BJ just told me, you know, he knows MJ. He said, MJ called. They're taking you. I'm like, all right, good, okay. I can do I'm like, Charlotte, we can make that work. That's great. And so, like, they started with the ninth pick of the draft, the Charlotte Bobcats pick, and I started, like, buttoning or whatever. I'm standing up. They're like, DJ Augustine. I'm like, whoa. And so it just, I was like, at that point, I was pretty messed up. I was like, wow, this is crazy, but... The, the Nets situations worked out pretty well for me. So all in all, you know. Yeah, I mean, like were, were you just at that point after not going nine? Was it 
I mean, what did you think of then? Because you, you must have been totally shell shocked that if you're being told right away it's happening at nine nine nine. Yeah, were you yeah. still thinking the same same things about New Jersey? Like, I'm, what's that city like? What's the climate? Yeah, like? exactly. Um, in in my first time being in New York was for the draft, mm-hmm. so I'd, I'd never been out there before. So, and you know, I've been out here obviously for nine years mm-hmm. now. So. Um, how how big an adjustment is it personally to be a California kid, Northern California, all of a sudden you're moving to New Jersey, um, you know the team's eventually going to be going somewhere else, but personally speaking, how big an adjustment was it? For me, it was like moving to another country. It, it, was, it was like going to China or something like that, honestly. It was just so different from being out West. Um, I definitely had a bit of a culture shock. Uh, you know, I, I could start immediately with the weather, the winters. Um, but just e- even smaller things, they have these jug handle turns out in New Jersey that totally like you have to go right to go left. And that messed me up so bad the first time, like I was driving down the highway and I couldn't, I was like trying to turn left and I couldn't find a left turn. So I just kept going down and kept going down the highway. I was like, what is going on here? Like, it just, it totally just lost me. And then another thing I did just to was just the way that. I think it was probably my first or second practice and I did something wrong. And so one of our coaches comes over and just starts telling me what to do. And, you know, being from the West coast, I never really heard like sort of East coast, like the way they talk, especially mm-hmm. like that Jersey accent. And so I felt like he was shouting at me and really mad at me. I'm like, what did I do? What did I do? He's like, nothing. I'm just telling you what you need to do. <laughs> and so it was, it was, it was a very different, very uh, interesting transition. Is NBA coaching in general a lot different than the stuff you're hearing in a couple of years in college? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's a very different experience. Uh, I think the one thing that just got me immediately was the kind of the, the freedom and trust they give you sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How hard is it? And I mean, so many coaches over the years, regular coaches, interim coaches, is it a big adjustment for a player to just consistently hear a different voice in, in so many years? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, for me, it's been it's been difficult dealing with the constant changes. That's, that's something that's been rough for me. But, um, you know, it's interesting because we've had lots of great basketball minds and great coaches here. It's just there's been different circumstances leading to, you know, people leaving. Um, and it's been, again, interesting. But, um it's uh, it's always an adjustment. There's been lots of different philosophies, and uh, you know, it's just I'm happy to be where we're at now, where we we have a great foundation being built, and there there's a continuity taking shape. Mm-hmm. I would assume it's because, I mean, different coaches want you to do different things. I mean, yeah. some are like, hey, how about mm-hmm. you step out from 18 feet? Hey, right. how about you just get in there and and be physical on the glass? I mean, is mm-hmm. that is that what it boils down to? Maybe yeah. with these, yeah, and um the the learning curve it can take a while it can take you know 20 games or it can take 40 games you know it takes a chunk of that season mm-hmm. and when it's when it's happening pretty much every season or every other season that's a lot of adjustment and a lot of kind of games that I don't want to say you're throwing them but that kind of just get lost making that transition was there a coach and, and obviously every coach has got your best interest in trying to make the team better at Harper was there a coach whose style was a bigger adjustment than others whether it was Avery or Lionel or any of the other guys you've you've played for over the years? I don't know if any one style was a bigger adjustment for me. Um, you know, I, I think in my way, I, you know, I'm blessed to have been under so many different coaches and seeing how their minds worked and the way they saw the game. And I think all that collectively helped make me a better player. 
Um, when you go back to those first couple of seasons, new situation, and a, a team that was starting to kind of transition into into a rebuild. Your first year, Vince was still there. Mm-hmm. was shades of the old Nets team that right. was still kind of around. But then you go into mm-hmm. the next year, and you're a 12-win team, and you're in full-scale kind of rebuild. Yeah. But what were those first two years uh, like for you? Um, you know, my first year, I was kind of just, you know, I was enjoying being in the league. I, I was, uh, you know, having, I was having a good time, you know, playing with Vince on that team and Devin, you know, and Ryan Anderson and CDR, my, uh, other rookies. So, you know, I was having a great time and, uh, you know, obviously, uh, getting my feet wet. And then, uh, that summer, I guess the business side kind of hit me with the VC trade, you know, cause obviously Vince is immediately gone. And then my guy, you know, from day one mm-hmm. being an NBA, Ryan Anderson was sent off as well. And so it was kind of a, a eye opener for me and how the league really works. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, when, when you're losing like that, how, how big a toll does it take on you? I mean, how would you describe the, the 82-game season that mm-hmm. finishes up with 12 wins? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it was very difficult for me. It, and it was so much different than this year. You know, this year you can you, we could see our growth throughout the entire season, and we, it, it never once felt like that situation at all. Um, that year it was just – it was tough because we had a lot of young guys on our team and, and, you know, CDR and myself, we'd been used to success at the college level, high school level, pretty much all through basketball. And so to come into this situation and, and see the way, uh, you know, obviously, you know, play in these games and and see how everything was going on. It was tough for us. You know, that's, we were winners and, you know, competitors. And so it was a difficult transition. So you get to the, the 11, 12 season. And that's when you first broke your foot mm-hmm. um, the first time around. I mean, it seems like the foot has become what like the ACL used to be, you know, the ACL, you kind of heal from guys right. come back from it, not easily, but they come back. Mm-hmm. The foot's become a thing that it, people are still trying to figure out, I guess. I mean, when, when you first did it, how did, did you realize the magnitude of it back then and how serious it could be for you? Uh, not the first time, you know, the first time I just, you know, it happened and I, you know, I was disappointed. It was tough, but you know, I worked my way back and I figured once I'm back, I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I partially torn a meniscus for and I, uh, before and I had, um, I had a chip disc in college where, uh, you know, a back injury. So I'd been through stuff before. And so I figured it just kind of be the same thing. I just rehab, you know, get my way through and be back on the floor. But it, when it continually obviously started happening, obviously that, that was difficult. How does it, how do you keep yourself from getting down or did you get down? I mean, during that period? Uh, I did. I did. You know, it, it was tough. Cause I just, I'd be, you know, bedridden in my room for the longest time, just thinking about everything. And, and you know, all you really have to do is time to think uh, that's, that's, uh, all you have really. And so, you know, I, the one thing I really took away from it was just, you know, how blessed I am to be on the court and how much I, I cherish the opportunity to be on the floor playing with my teammates. Mm-hmm. Did you, I mean, how much, you know, when I, I know when I'm, this is not a great comparison, but when I'm ever mm-hmm. sick, I'm the king of WebMD and I'm Googling, right. you know, I'm Googling like symptoms of mm-hmm. stuff and recover from stuff. I and mean, how much of that do you do when I, you're banged up? I, I don't, I can't do that because then I just. Drive, you're smart. You're smart. Yeah, not I, I would that. drive myself crazy and get see all these <laughs> theories that people have on the internet. And I'd probably, you know, I'd probably think I'd end up dying, honestly. You know, I'm sure that's what it always says. But, um, <laughs> you know, we just, um, you know, I, I would text my agent a lot and text my doctors a lot and kind of ask, what can I do to help get myself better, help myself get there quicker? And 
um, you know, if I did feel something, I would absolutely hit my doctors up immediately. And, you know, we have the best doctors in the world taking care of us over here, you know, at HSS, uh, you know, Riley, Doc O'Malley, Riley Williams, all those guys, you know, they've, they've just been so great the whole way. And, you know, um, I've been playing on this foot for two and a half, mm-hmm. three years or whatever now. And it's just been fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you had every New York paper inter- interviewing independent doctors <laughs> describing, well, I think it's going to be like this. And that's mm-hmm. when you really must have to avoid. Yeah. You just see what you see, what all those other people are thinking. I think he's done. I think he should retire. You know, I think he'll play, but it'll never be the same or, you know, he'll be playing 10 minutes a game, whatever it is. And you're just like, wow, this is, I guess I know what they're talking about. <laughs> did the did the fear of your career being over ever come across your mind? Yeah, you know, that's something I thought about a lot. And, you know, I just, you know, I'd, I'd sit there and I'd be like, if it keeps re-injuring myself, you know, I'm at the point where like, if this foot turns to powder, I'm playing on this foot. You know, that's the point where I was at now. I just, I wanted to get on the on the court, back on the court so bad and just, you know, try to show people what I could do. Was there uh, someone influential during that time, that rough time for you that, that was big with helping you through it? Uh, you know, I'd, I'd probably have to go to, you know, the doctors, you know, and they just kept me sane because, you know, I'd, I'd spend summers and it's tough for me because, again, I'm a Cali kid. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this first few years in Brooklyn, I'd pretty much finish the season and I'd be back in, in Cali chilling. Mm-hmm. But I spent, I've spent a lot of time in, in Jersey and Brooklyn rehabbing, um, you know, being at HSS, being at their, uh, you know, their offices, their practices, and just, you know, working to get back on the court and, and talking to them about what I needed to do. And they, they really helped me through the process, just everything they knew, their mindset, and just the way they controlled the whole situation. You know, I just, I could tell they had my back and my best interests at heart. When it happens time. the last time, do you say, are you sure you're going to get it right this time? <laughs> or like, is, is that ever... It, you, you you hear them say like, okay, well, we did this this time, and so it's not going to happen again. And I'd be like, okay, that's great. I'd be like, yeah, that's great. But I'd be sitting there like, well, you know, I guess I have to do this anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, I can't very well, you know, perform these surgeries on myself. But no, they, they absolutely, they had my full trust. And it was... It was interesting to see all the steps we took after each injury to to helping rehabilitate the foot and make it as strong as possible. And, uh, and so, you know, hopefully for future players, seeing what we did repeatedly after each one, what we did differently, what we learned from each, uh, injury, hopefully that helps, helps future players down the line. That must be the hardest part. I mean, you could play really basketball all day long, but Mm -hmm. you know, the the rehab, the little things that I'm sure you have to do to get to strengthen that foot must've just been tedious, you know, doing it over again. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it would always be tough. Like, no matter how much I psyched myself up or I told myself I'm ready to go, like getting back on the basketball court and playing a few preseason games or, or, you know, getting back in training camp, it was always difficult. You're always like, man, this seems harder than it was before. And, you know, you, you kind of kind of question like, can I like, you know, I feel physically good, but, you know, can I still play the way, I, you know, I, I used to play? And so it was always just, you know, just never quitting and having that belief that you can get back to where you were and surpass that. So you get to 2013 and, and your, uh, you know, your whole world changes in some ways when they make the trades that bring KG and mm-hmm. Pierce and they hire Jason. I mean, you go from a team that's not thought of a lot across the NBA to the, maybe the most watched team in the right. NBA with mm-hmm. all those personalities. When you look back on, especially that first year, yeah. I mean, what, what do you, what does your take away from that first year? Um, 
I, I think I just learned so much. You know, I, I was, uh, you know, I was still the young guy on the team. So, I mean, going out into the court at the beginning of the game and, and playing with, you know, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Darren Williams, and Joe Johnson, that's like, shoot. I mean, you, you grow up dreaming of stuff like that. And so being on a team with, you know, that caliber of talent in the starting lineup alone, you know, you know, let alone the other people we had, it was just, it was, it, I grew so much in that one season. I learned so much playing with those guys. Did you, I mean, did you think like a lot of people did that you have these five guys plus your bench, you got Jason Kidd coming to coach. Mm-hmm. Did you think you were, you know, we're a 60, 65 win team was that at the start of the season? We didn't really focus on a, a number of wins or anything like that. You know, we, we again, we, we realized there might be an adjustment period, but we always felt that we were a better team than what we showed even, you know, in the first half of the season up until, uh, you know, up until New Year's pretty much. Was it a bigger adjustment to, to, to figure each other out than, than maybe you expected or everyone expected? It, it I don't want to say bigger, you know, it was a task, but the thing we had going for us is we, we had such unselfish team first players. It, it was never really an issue of, anyone shooting the ball too much or anyone being, you know, overly greedy or selfish. How did you and KG get along? Oh man, that's my guy. <laughs> that's absolutely my guy. You know, I, I miss ticket every day. I, I, you know, I can't really state how much he did for me as a player and, and a leader and a voice in the locker room. When they, when people talk about him at practice, I mean, what did, how, how was your interactions with him on the practice court? You know, they, they just, they don't come any tougher. And, and, you know, I always heard that KG, you know, was, was, a great teammate, the best teammate, did all the stuff for his rookies and everything like that. But to see it firsthand, day in, day out, you know, the first one in, always there, always going at 100%, you know, getting the guys going, fo- ultra-focused. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was a sight to see, you know. It really, uh, it just got me going as well. When you look back at those two years um, that that group was together, disappointed that it didn't, you know, end with what people hoped it would with the championship, mm-hmm. with all that was that was brought together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely am. Um, you know, I, I thought, uh, you know, I, I thought it was such a great group of guys. You know, and it's obviously the core. You know, it was spectacular. I just, you know, one thing I wish I'd been healthy that initial season. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of obviously uh, alternate realities out there. Could have gone this way, could have gone that way, but you know, it was a great group. When they start to break that group up, uh, trading KG, Paul goes, did you think, I mean, we've talked about you being traded potentially. Mm -hmm. Did you think you were going to be part of that kind of exodus of that team as they dismantled it? Yeah. um, Again, that's stuff I tried to ignore. You know, I I think I, I think I signed a new deal either after that season or the season after that. But, um, you know, when Ticket got traded, that was the same year that uh, the OKC rumors kept coming through. And you brought, you did resign to play here mm-hmm. long term. I mean, did any part of you think I'm gonna this this is enough is enough with all that's gone on here? I'm gonna go look. <laughs> Not that you didn't want to be here, but you didn't know right. if they wanted you to be here long term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, hearing those OKC rumors, I absolutely, I, you know, I weighed those in my mind. You know, and I, you know, I pictured myself playing out there with the group they had and. You know, I was, I was kind of, you know, I was at the point where I was like, you know, I'm going to do my thing here, but if it happened, you know, I'm, I'm prepared to, you know, do what I need to in that situation in OKC as well. I know when you just re-signed the new deal, I think you told me at the time, you said, I told them to kind of cut it out with the trade talks. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's mm-hmm. just d- did, 
I mean, did that, was that message heard? Do you think there, or I, I think it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just let him know that, you know, I'm focused on being here and, you know, building something special here. So this is, you know, a different kind of team and a different kind of situation mm-hmm. that you're in right now. For you personally, the thing that's changed with you is you've become a three-point shooter all of a sudden in the mm-hmm. in the middle of your uh, career. Can you just tell me about the, you know, what went into that? Like, did you decide off-season? Did someone bring it to you? I mean, how did you come turn into this? Um, I've always been, you know, comfortable shooting the ball, but it's never been part of a a system before, you know, with the previous coaches we had. And so Kenny came to me in the off season and both Kenny and Sean, and they were just, you know, they were, they told me they wanted me to extend my range because it just completely changes the game. Having mm-hmm. five guys on the floor who can shoot the three ball and, uh, you know, having seen, uh, you know, Kenny's teams in Atlanta, you know, and obviously the Spurs doing what they do. Uh, it, it is, it's tough to guard. And so, you know, uh, after that, it was just putting in a lot of work, just, you know, getting shots up, day in day out sometimes two a day and and you know after that you know it's one thing to see shots going in practice or when you're by yourself in the gym but to have the confidence to shoot the ball in the game and, you know and know it's going to go in because you know you see tons of guys who can shoot a million free throws but when the get when you know when the lights are on they don't go down and so it's having the confidence in yourself and knowing that the coaches and your teammates want you to take that shot if it's the right shot. And this is just the way the game's going, right? I mean, seven-footers are shooting threes. I yeah. see Marcus Gasol doing yeah. the same thing it's, you did this year. Yeah, it's it's crazy, right? It's amazing to see. But, you know, we always said as big men that we could shoot, and so now we're just showing you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this season, I mean, it's it's strange uh, because, I mean, you're, you're trying to rebuild, and you know what the score is with the draft pick at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I would think in a weird way, like maybe not having that high pick hurts obviously long-term, but it, I, in a weird way, it, it seems like it's been productive for you guys because there is no, you see a lot of tanking out there and there yeah. is no tanking here because there's no, no. reason to yeah. at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. you, does this feel different than say that 12 win team that you were on the second season of your career? Yeah, As I mentioned earlier, it's, this feels completely different from that team. And it, it never once felt like that this season, honestly, even when we lost, when we won like one in 20 whatever games, mm-hmm. it never felt like that because the guys, we, the group of guys we had, they've never shown any signs of quit. We've been fighting every night. And I don't know if it's just because we're kind of this group of young guys and guys and inexperienced guys from across the league who haven't really had that chance and they're coming here and we're like, look, this is our opportunity and our chance to show these guys around the league what we can do. And, you know, we can be special together, but our biggest strength is in each other. And so we, we've kind of really taken that opportunity that we have. And, and, you know, we've been growing a lot. You know, it, there were a lot of pains. And, you know, we, we I think we started to break through a little bit at the beginning of March. And, you know, we've definitely been having growth and improvement. Have you felt like you either wanted to or needed to change your role somewhat in the locker room just because, you know, you're young, but you're also one of the older guys yeah. on this team, given what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I talked about the other day how it's weird that like, it was with Kiki Vandway, actually. I was talking about how like two years ago I was, you know, on that team with like Truth and KG and d and Joe. And, you know, now I got all these like 21-year-old guys and I'm the old guy at 29. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've tried to been, be much more of a leader, m- much more vocal on the floor as well. And, um, you know, I think, uh, both Jalen and I have done a pretty good job in doing that. So nine years from now, when we're doing this again, will you be 
announcing your retirement as a Brooklyn net. <laughs> Whenever that happens, I, I hope it's as a Brooklyn net. You know, I just, I, I want people when they hear the name Brooke Lopez, I want them to think of one of the guys who helped build something special in Brooklyn and helped create a winning franchise where people want to come, want to play and want to be part of something successful. Who plays longer? You or Robin? Oh, it's not even a question. I heard he was going to get cut in a few days. <laughs> oh, 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 harsh, man. Harsh. <laughs> How many years do you want to play? Have you, do you have a number? like? I haven't thought do? about it. I, I don't have a number. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Brooke, man, thanks for doing this. I hope you uh, have a good uh, rest of the year, breaking the record hopefully before the end of the season, and uh, we'll catch up soon, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Brooke Lopez for joining the show. A reminder, you can listen to archive podcasts at iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. If you have time, post a comment, leave us a rating. I really appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.